Hello and welcome to Roses Radio, Voices Saving Lives. This podcast is presented by Roses in the Ocean, an Australian-based national not-for-profit that's been founded in order to change the way suicide is spoken about, understood and prevented. We hope that by presenting lived experience stories along with the insights and wisdom of the courageous people who share them, we will help to dispel some of the myths about suicide, improving the suicide literacy of our communities and contributing to reducing the fear, discrimination and judgement that sadly still inhibits our ability to support others and seek help. At Roses in the Ocean we believe that most suicides are preventable and we need to be able to openly speak about suicide. So please, open your hearts and minds to the possibilities that a deeper understanding of suicide can bring to saving lives. Hello, folks. Welcome to Roses Radio. Lane Stretton here, and today I'm here talking to Andrew, or Andy, as we're going to call him. Welcome, Andy. Welcome, uh, everyone, and, and g'day, Lane. How are you? Nice to have you. I'm very well, mate. Nice to have you um, on Roses Radio today. I'd really like to explore uh, mental health with you, um, just to start with. Um, maybe a quick question around how has your perception of mental health, and by extension, your perception of suicide changed as a result of your lived experience? Yeah, thanks. Um, I guess looking back at my life um, and, and my personality and everything, um, it's, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, growing up, uh, always got the teacher's remarks that I had potential and also a bit of the class clown. Um, so I've always had a pretty boisterous and, and excited uh, attitude and persona. Um, so growing up, happy outlook on things, bit of a you know happy-go-lucky attitude and and love to muck around and, and love to have a joke did you grow up in adelaide mate or was it was is adelaide your, your home no nah, so born and bred in tassie yeah so look i grew up there and um i guess uh you know mental health i mean i'm only 32 years old um and obviously in in my short time uh, on this earth uh I've seen it change. I've seen the landscape change around it and especially the subject of, of mental health and suicide. Um, I guess my first experience of it was was in high school, um, hearing of a, a head prefect at the sc- a high school I went to um, that had died from suicide. And at that age, you know, year seven, um, roughly, you know, 14 years old, 13 years old, it was a very vague subject you know did you understand what suicide was did you did you know what that meant you know as a kid then you know it was probably suicide bomber from world war ii you know it was a it was a phrase you heard it was um it was someone had uh, killed themselves and i didn't understand it it was just words it was also a bit of why would you do that um and i was a kid i didn't understand it and that played on my mind um, I n- saw the young man from from our high school, and as a young high schooler, hey, that guy's cool. He's the head prefect. What a what an awesome dude, you know. Um, as you do, looking up to the older senior kids at school, and I never fully understood it. Um, my next experience, I guess, was knowing some people within my church community that had lived experiences, but once again, I wasn't involved. It was hearing my parents talk about it, hearing my friends talk about it. Um, so it always felt like it was arm's length. Arm's length. Mm-hmm. Yep, it wasn't affecting me, but I was hearing about it. Um, 
two young fellas my age that I went to school with you, 11 and 12, um, both individually lost their brothers um, to suicide. And even then, um, well, one, it wasn't talked about. It was, you, I felt like I couldn't ask them about that. I wanted to understand about it, but no one talked about it. It was us talking about it behind their backs. It was a taboo subject. Um, and then after that was an ex-work colleague here in Adelaide. So years later, um, I'm working in the construction industry um, and a fellow I worked with there, he left the business and I kept in touch with him through some um, common interests, motorbikes, things like that. And got a phone call one day from a, a, another mate at work um, that he had died. Um, and so I went to his funeral, uh, talked to the other guys at work and it was just this that was my first getting closer to it. It was it was getting closer to my life, um, and you know that that probably started me on a bit of a, a journey of researching and reading a little bit more about it. But um, yeah, it still haven't touched home yet. What were some of the learnings that were starting to emerge for you, or what was interesting to you? Um, bit of a pattern, I suppose. That you know those four experiences were all blokes, uh, all similar age. Um, which you know, I'm now learning there's, a, there's statistics that throw us into that category and age group, um, which is a higher percentage. Um, I guess maybe the reasons and that kind of thing were still a little bit uncertain and foreign. Uh, I still had a bit to learn there. Um, but definitely a pattern of, of young men um, dying too early. Um, and that was something that hit home as me being a young man. Um, and then sort of I started noticing it in other areas. So I guess in the media, um, you know, some of those celebrity, you would call it, um, deaths uh, being, you know, Robin Williams and Heath Ledger and, and others that have happened since then. And you start sort of, yeah, just putting the puzzle pieces together. Um, and, and that journey was sort of picking up speed, so to speak. But still it was arm's length. Yep. And, and still it was, a, a, you know, it was a process of becoming more interested in understanding it, but... At the end of the day, it hadn't hit the heart yet. It was more a, a, a kind of cognitive process for you. Yeah, probably that. And also, I guess, guess the subject of, of death. Um, I just had been cruising along pretty good. I, um, other than my um, grandma passing away, you know, from cancer, uh, which, you know, was um, uh, sad at the time, but still it was kind of cancer was talked about. Uh, we all talked about it as a family when it happened. And so death was put down as um, that was uh, sickness and that was the result of that sickness. And um, up until then, a couple of years later, with a, um, exposure to some more, you know, um, community deaths, um, the, the, those two subjects I'd been, hadn't had to experience. Um, and and that's, I just guess, my life up until that point, I hadn't experienced it, so... Why do you think, so you grew up in a faith-based environment, uh, as I did. Uh, why do you think in some of these environments, the subject of mental health, before we even get to suicide, I mean, in some of these environments, mental health's not even really talked about it. Yeah, it's a funny one. Uh, as, I mean, as of right now, today, I've done a lot more research and, and, and looked into the subjects. And um, I think there's that cultural, different cultures around the world. Um, there's that sort of... Uh, mentality of don't show weakness, especially with the blokes, um, but also uh, women as well. Um, um, if we don't talk about it, maybe it's not there. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me. 
Um, if I don't ask, I don't need to deal with someone else's problem. Um, in my, I guess, um, faith community and, and church groups, um, yeah, I think it was put down to maybe that old English conservative uh, view of keep it bottled up. Don't put your problems on someone else. Um, don't let anyone else know that there's a problem at home or with you and just deal with it internally. Yeah, because of what, mate? Probably Why judgment. Judgment. People, it's a sign of weakness and it's a sign of people, uh, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to think of my family? And that's sad. Uh, the more research I do, communities and cultures should be looking at from the point of view that reach out to your community, reach out to your family and your friends and those around you and actually... Um, get them to help you through it. But it's the opposite way around and it has been for a long time. And, and I think that was built on that whole, um, we don't want to be judged by others. We don't want people to know our business. Um, we don't want to be thought less of. So don't let anyone know. When it comes to faith-based environments, I, I often wonder um, whether there's a perception that somehow the expression of mental health and maybe even uh, suicide is an expression of a lack of, of a relationship with God and, and a lack of faith in God's capacity to be able to deal with things in your life. Do you kind of sense that that's a prevailing thought process? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm religious um, and, and I obviously have my faith and, and my beliefs, um, so I can only speak for myself and my community. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, there's a view that obviously... Um, Suicide has been put into boxes and, and, and um, categorised in certain ways by certain cultures, which we're learning isn't the right way to do it. And, and people have tried to uh, play it off as there's reasons for not talking about it and there's reasons for not going there. And that may be cultural or faith-based uh, opinions. Um, and, you know, it's sensitive, so I don't want to sort of elaborate on that because I know that can be, you know, distressing for some people, but it's not. It's, it's a part of life is what I'm learning. Mm. Um, mental health and depression and anxiety, um, and they are normal sicknesses that mm. need to be treated just like everything else, like a broken arm or, or any other type of sickness, the flu. And we go and we all get help for that and we all talk about it, but for some reason this other category has been pushed aside and yeah. hasn't been helped along in the same way. So yeah. why aren't we as communities whether it's cultural or faith-based communities or even social um, structures, why aren't we talking about these sort of things openly? Yeah, look, I think it's because it's been misskewed throughout time. Um, but you're right. I mean, if, if you read the Bible and you, that is something that you are interested in and you believe in, there are fantastic stories there about the characters and the lessons in there. Whether you take it as a story or you take it um, literally as being real, um, it talks about people being at their lowest points and reaching out for help. And whether that was to their community or to their God and what they believed, they did it. And we can do that in society today. Um, we've got to reach out for help. Uh, it's, it's not a taboo subject and there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. Um, it is another form of dying. Um, and unfortunately, though, if you look at statistics and you look at it, it's actually one of the most not easiest, but there is a way to stop it. I mean, we look at cancer and we look at some of these other sicknesses out there and they're still trying to find cures. There's things that are out of our control, but we can stop our young men and our young women and people dying too young prematurely from suicide. So maybe if you would like to uh, give me a, a bit of a, a sense as to the story around your, uh, your brother James and and um, what your uh, lived experience was. 
Yeah, so I guess um, I'm, I'm one of six kids. Um, so we were all born in Tassie, um, mum and dad, and, and we all lived down there. And so um, it was three boys, three girls, and I was the second eldest. And um, as, a, as a family, we lost uh, James, my little brother, um, the youngest of the boys. We lost him to suicide. Um, How long ago was that? That was just over five years. Five years. Um, everything turns into a bit of a blur and flies by. But yeah, uh, it was um, November 2014 and uh, James was 22 years old. And um, that was, I guess, my uh, lived experience that hit home. All of a sudden, that subject wasn't at arm's length. It was right there in the middle of our family, in the middle of our community, and it was, it was rocking our world. Tell us about James. What was he like? Yeah, James um, was the life of the party, um, and that's probably a story that people are so used to hearing now. Um, he was. He was uh, a real fun, loud um, character. Um, my my kids, I've got four kids, and, uh, and probably the two eldest are the ones that remember him the most. I had three at the time of James um, being with us, and even they just go, oh, he was, he was fun. He was Uncle James. He was he was crazy. Uh, every time we went over to the house, um, he was he was the one they would seek out to see what he was up to, what he was wearing, what music he was listening to, what <laughs> posters he had on the room right. in his room. Um, he was fun. He was um, working as a hairdresser, an apprentice, um, so doing really well with that. He enjoyed that. Yeah, he was. He enjoyed it and he was doing great. Um, he'd previously worked before that in, in the pizza industry, making pizzas locally. And, and everywhere he was working and everyone he was touching, um, he was having an effect on them. Mm. Um, he was, uh, you know, on, on their pictures on their wall. He was on their Facebook pages. He was, um, he was the life of the party. And, um, you know, he had a good group of friends around him. Um, you know, he owned his car, had a couple of cars, um, had the job and, um, yeah, he was, he was plodding along, going well, so to speak. Had you ever noticed any um, behaviours associated with, uh, you know, his life that were concerning for you prior to him taking his life? Um, looking back now... Yes, we hindsight is a great thing. We can look back now, but at the time, I wasn't. Um, I didn't know enough to be picking up on uh, the signs and hearing the triggers and knowing what I know now. Um, so yes, there were signs. Talking to mum and dad as well. Um, mum's really good to chat to about it. There was signs, and there's things we can look back on now. But at the time, um, for example, myself, I can only speak for myself, no, I, I didn't notice and I didn't pick up on things that I could have. Retrospectively, what are some of the signs that, uh, you know, that mum's spoken to you about or things that other people have noticed that might be helpful for our listeners to, um, to know about their own sort of complex situations? Yeah, I guess the, the basic things are people doing things differently to what they would normally do. Um, for example, so those signs can be anything from eating patterns um, to mood swings. Someone that's normally very happy and up and about and boisterous suddenly isn't that way, or someone that's normally down, um, quiet, maybe the 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 more solemn type of person at work or at school are suddenly happy and uh, talking about you know things they don't normally talk about. Um, 
Have people said that about James? Have people said that they'd noticed some changes in behaviour? Yeah, probably a couple of things, um, especially for me to look as his brother, um, physical changes. So, um, you know, I look at photos of him a year before and then in the year that he passed away and you could see a change in um, obviously in his eating by his, his weight and, and, and his face. Um, there's a change there. You can, you can physically see it. And, and mum said, you know, his, his eating habits did change. Um, he's uh, opening up and talking to people. Um, people have said, oh, he's had conversations with us in that year leading up to it. That now we look conversations back, of you know, bringing up how he was feeling. Okay, and that was unusual for him. He didn't, yeah, he well, wasn't someone who needed to talk about those things. Not just that. I think he was a great talker, but maybe the subject of what he was talking about. Yeah. And eventually getting to the point where he said, um, "I'd like to talk to someone about more than just." day-to-day activities and how I'm feeling. And that was that tipping point. Um, but, you know, I look back at a moment where he... I mean, look, me and James didn't see each other a lot. Um, I was married, I had kids, I was heavily involved in my work, in my church. Um, I was very busy and I didn't see my siblings a lot. I didn't see mum and dad a lot. It was more just family events here and there, dropping the kids off. And um, I look back at a couple of moments in the months leading up to James passing where we contacted each other backwards and forwards and it was more than what I was used to. So he was reaching out. Reaching out um, to chat, mm. to talk. I don't know what for, to be honest, because um, but we you, didn't... you wouldn't have considered that We unusual. didn't do it. No, I look back now and go... That was unusual for the time, okay. Because it was pretty, um, it was pretty basic transactions and conversations we were having, um, and so I look back now and go, "That's something that I know now to pick up on." Someone's reaching out; they're talking to you more than they would normally talk to. They're ringing you, they're texting you. A um, couple of conversations I had with him, the way he was responding to me. I mean, the day it sort of changed for me was when. Uh, I was down in Mount Gambia for work. I'm a sales rep and I was down there and mum rang me and I answered my phone and thought, oh, why is mum ringing me on a Tuesday morning, for example? And, and mum sort of said to me, she goes, look, James isn't good. Um, he's just letting you know he's reached out to me and, and he's um, feeling unwell mentally and, and we've gone and we've started the process of seeing the GP and, and, and talking to people and, and going through those steps of a GP and a and a um, psychologist and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, we chatted about it. I can't right at this moment re- recall all the details of the, of the phone call, but I remember sitting there with this feeling in my stomach and it hitting home, oh, James, my happy um, go lucky brother uh, is depressed or, you know, he's having mental health at the time in my head going, he's sad. Um, and in my head going, why? Um, I'd, I'd had that outlook in life of if you're sad, be happy, you know, and, and I don't say that disrespectfully. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot since then. But it was kind of like um, how can you be sad when there's so much good stuff going on? You've got a good job. You've got your cars. Your, everything's great, um, you know, and so it really hit me. I remember sitting in my car after I got off the phone to mum and, and I reckon I had a cry and I, I was like trying to comprehend it all in my head. Why isn't my little brother okay? Um, but even then I didn't know what to do um i hadn't had exposure enough to it i hadn't done any training i hadn't read up on it and the next time i reached out to him i think i shot him a text message um at the time we were maybe talking about bicycles and i think that was one of those moments where we'd been talking about it 
but the responses I was getting back to him wasn't about buying a bicycle. It was, hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? Do you want to grab lunch? Um, and so I went around to see him that week, I reckon, when I got back. And, you know, I reckon I took him a nice coffee and maybe a magazine or something and sort of sat there with him. And I didn't know what to say. It was, hey, you know, how are you, mate? And got you a nice coffee and just being a blokey bloke. And, yep. um, yeah, I, I didn't know what to say or how to start that conversation or how to check in. Or what, how do you, to, what do you wish you had said? I'm, I'm sure you've given that a lot of reflection. Yeah, I have. And I don't beat myself up. I don't blame myself. I don't think I could have changed it. I, yeah. I think that's all fine. Um, but I look at it and just go, I could have actually asked him questions along the lines of how are you and are you okay and how can I help and then listened for the answer. Because I know I'm... I'm like James, I'm boisterous, I'm out there and I fire off at the tongue a lot before I listen. And I know I'm like that. Um, and I've learnt a lot that it's very powerful to ask the question but then hang around for the answer and actually show you're listening and mm. show that you care. Mm. And that's something I've had to learn, something I've got, to, I've got to work on, I'm still working on. I remember a, a few of those events really clearly. There's other stuff that's not clear and has and blurred over, over the last five years. But I remember that conversation clearly. And I remember going away from that one thinking, gee, I butchered that. <laughs> like, why was that so awkward? Uh, why, was he acting, um, why was he acting awkward back to me? Why weren't we interacting normally? Why wasn't he giving me anything? Like I was asking, I was, thought I was asking the right questions and he wasn't giving me anything. But I look back now and I wasn't asking the right questions and I probably wasn't listening properly either. I think I was hoping that he was just going to snap out of it. And I say that definitely with respect that you can't just snap out of it. Um, and that's something I've learned. Um, and then in those, you know, it was a short period. It was that phone call uh, and about five weeks until I got, you know, the worst phone call of my life. Um, so that was a pretty short period for me. What do you um, remember about that day? Um, yeah, I remember a fair bit about that one. Um, I was at home. Uh, Mel had gone out, uh, you know, maybe to the shops or something. I was at home with the kids. And when my phone rang, it was one of those, it was that other moment, probably there's a group of phone calls in my life I can clearly remember, and that was the other one, where my phone was ringing, Mel was calling me, and I thought, why is Mel calling me? She's just gone to the shops. I've got the kids She's having the morning off like, I don't think she wants to speak to me right now. And as soon as I answered the phone, I just, something in my stomach clicked. Um, Mel was, it, didn't, was it her reaction? Or yeah, her... she didn't sound right. right. I'd already was, my mind was already racing. Why is Mel ringing me? Um, and, uh, you know, what she said to me about, I'm on the way back home. We've got to go out, you know, friends coming around to watch the kids. We've we got to go to, to mum and dad's house. And I don't know, it's, it's one of those things, I knew something was wrong. Um, my mind started racing, my mind just went straight to James. Even, and that's the weird thing, even though I didn't understand enough about the subject of, of anxiety and, and depression and suicide, my mind started racing. Mm. And all I could think in my head was, um, yeah, something's, something's gone wrong. And I think one of the other things that was, was hard and a lesson I've learned is that two days before that, uh, we were all meant to catch up. So me, dad, James, and my other brother, Peter. And we'd, we'd teed up to go out for lunch on, I think it was the Thursday, and just have a catch up. And, uh, you know, I was busy. 
Um, I was busy at work. I was a rep though. I should have been able to clear my schedule and go, yeah, I've got an hour out. I'll meet you guys down at the cafe. And I, uh, I just did the old, look, I'm too busy. Well, let's take a rain check. Um, and look, that's, that, that is what it is. Um, once again, uh, you, can't, you can't do anything about that. But you go, we've, we've got to look out for each other. We've got to look out for our family. We've got to look out for our friends. We've got to look out for our work colleagues. And life's not too busy uh, one to be safe, you know, because safe is a big thing in my in the construction industry, and two to make time for each other, and that falls under safety too as well, safety and well being of mental health. And I look back at that and just go, you know, um, if I'd known more of the signs and known how serious it was, I probably would have made that time to go and catch up with them, and I didn't. So um, that was sort of my last chat was right there and then of me interacting with them over text messages, not even seeing them face to face. And then, um, you know, rocking up to mum and dad's house mm. and, uh, you know, getting told, you know, the news that James uh, had died. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's life shattering. That's, that right there is the, is the rock in the, in, the, in the water and the ripples just start going from there. Um, and, you know, life hasn't been the same since then. Uh, it's been a real journey the last five years. Um, but yeah, that's that was that was it. It was it was a phone call. It was five weeks later. I got that the worst phone call of my life, and um, everything changed. And how has it changed you? Do you think? Um, yeah, it's been a bit. Uh, it's been an up and down journey. Um, I, looking back now, went into um, went into sort of probably protective mode. I shut out my feelings. Um, what were you protecting? You know, I think I was. I think I. I'm still working through it, <laughs> yeah. but I, I shut out my emotions definitely. Um, I did the the real blokey thing of going right. I'm going to step up here and 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 help mum and dad and help my siblings. Um, you know, I was kind of telling myself I'm okay. I've I've got me and Mel, my wife. I've got my kids. I've sort of got it together. So I need to step in here and help help my younger sisters and and mum and dad through this tragedy. And I tried to be strong um, and put on that strong persona and everything. And um, I, I did that well for a while. I don't know how other people might say I didn't, but I, I think I did it well for a while. I, um, I just shut it all out and went, come on, let's, let's kick into action here and help everyone else. I like helping people. That's how I grew up. I, you know, I'm, I'm bad at a lot of things, maths, science, all those things, but I like helping people and I like people. And so that's what I did. I, I jumped into help mode and I shut out my emotions and the next sort of year went by real quick. You know, we went through all the other things that come with it, the the family fallout, the funeral, the community and all that. Um, but me, uh, for myself, I went on that journey of then having to fight grief. Yeah, what what did grief feel like for you? Um, the grief I'd felt before that of, of obviously grandma and then um, friends in our community, um, which I won't go into, you know, obviously, because that's not my story, but... Mm. That was sadness, those ones. I was sad. I was sad for them. I was sad for who had passed away. And I wanted, you know, I just constantly felt sad for them. And, and that grief was a journey of probably more sadness and, and empathy. Whereas in this grief was, um, after I sort of let it in, um, was confusion, um, sadness, real deep, deep sadness. Um, that knot in your stomach that doesn't go away for, for months at a time. Um, questioning things. So questioning, I guess, uh, the events and why everything happened. Questioning maybe my faith. Um, 
uh, so the sadness, which probably turned into a bit of, um, you know, uh, d- depression type sadness, like as in feeling blue and feeling down. Um, then probably going in the waves of managing to get on top of it and pushing it out and trying to go back like everything was normal. Um, uh, anger, frustration, that kind of thing. And it hasn't stopped, if mm. I'm being perfectly honest. Um, and only recently, as of three weeks ago, um, 2020, um, you know, went, went back to the GP and just said, you know, I've got to, I've got to do a self-care check-in. And that was due to feedback from, you know, Mel and the kids and, and people around me, people at work. You know, and what was that feedback, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, that I wasn't acting like normal. But what were the? What yeah, were probably the all. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, just my persona um, and how I was interacting with people at work, um, how I was at home. Um, you know, little things uh, frustrating me and and um, feeling feeling down. Um, not, you know, those classic things. You know, mm. uh, not into the things I'm normally into, and and that's okay. That that that's what I've had to learn in the five years. Is it's okay to not be okay um and you've got to talk about what's going on and i'm a shocker for that you know everything that's happened i've got to put my hand up as much as i i preach the the message and i share it i'm actually just as bad uh, not just as bad but I, I i do the exact same thing that other humans do i bottle it up and i don't talk about it and so that's i think part of my grief journey is that i've got to keep working through that um and so i'm doing that at the moment and it's tough. I say to anyone out there that's listening, um, keep going and, and keep trying to do it. Um, put your hand up. Mm. Um, there's lots of different options out there to talk to and to get help from. Um, you started with the GP? Yeah, in that case I did um, because I think if you can get onto a GP that you feel comfortable talking with and that um, openly tells you that they're open to mental health discussion because there's some that aren't and, and they're getting trained as well. But if you can find the right GP, they're a great place to start because they can recommend you to people to talk to and course of action, mental health plans, that kind of thing. What did they recommend to you? Um, so, yeah, that uh, the ones I've been to speak to have done the little sort of spent time with me and got to know me, uh, done some little questionnaires and chat to and um, asked where I'm at and sort of made sure I'm okay and I'm in a, in a good place and then said, right, um, they were open with telling me that they've got to their limit of saying, hey, I think it'd be good if you went and spoke to someone now who specialises in grief from suicide. Mm-hmm. And I know others that have spoken to people, they've gone, it's good if you go and speak to someone about grief to do with relationships. Yep. And there are people out there that specialise in this, but you don't know that if you're not out there seeking it and asking for help. And you uh, you took that on board and you went and got some uh, counselling? or some- Yeah, I've done it in the past. I've had counselling and seen a psychologist. Yeah, and now I'm just on that journey again right now. And it's good. I, I feel better for the every time I do it. And so that's obviously me on, on my, my journey with it. Um, and all I can say is that um, everyone I've spoken to that's doing the same thing or has been on that journey of asking for help, it's been good. Mm. And, and, and uh, it, might not, it, it might not fix. Like, it's not going to fix overnight. And But what it is is it's going to there's going to be people there to help you through your journey. It's like grief. It's not going away. And um, people say you might get over it. You don't get over it. Um, People say you might learn to live with it. Some people might not learn to live with it. But it's going to be there forever now. And so it's about working with it and working how you can live with it and how you can just go through each day with it.
oh, look, uh, regret's a hard one, you know. Um, definitely not the, the blame game regret, but just the, just the regret, just looking back and just going, you know, I wish, you know, I'd spent more time with that person or uh, I'd, I'd had those catch-ups or I'd done that, you know. Um, James uh, left lots of little different writings. I mean, he was a real character. He loved trying to write music and poems and stories and songs. And he left some writings, um, you know, that you know, mum and dad have gone through and, and that I've read through with them. Um, and he, he left some, um, you know, some writings and just some thoughts that he was obviously having. What stands out for you when you think back about some of those thoughts that he left? Yeah, well, probably the biggest one is he had a small list of um, people he wanted to talk to about how he was feeling and what he was going through um, before he died. And one of the lists said, people I want to talk to... Um, about how I'm feeling, and at the top of the list was my name. Now, whether that was in order or not, I don't know, but I was on that list. Andrew, uh, my brother, uh, along with a couple of other names. And reading that, you know, it's one of those kicks in the gut moment where you go, he wanted to talk to me. And then I think back, what did, did we talk much? No, we didn't. Um, and that's a hard one mm. because there's nothing I can do about that now. And I'll never know what it was. It's one of those like the old unopened letter. You're never going to know what's in it. Um, but what that has done is made me fight for and want to never have to do that again. To never have to see my name written down as someone wanting to talk to me and I wasn't available to them. And not to say that you can't, you can't be available all the time to everyone and you can't fix everyone and you don't have all the answers. But... I look at that and just go, we can all try harder and we can all learn more and we can all make a difference, mm. even if it's a tiny little bit. Even if this podcast today or that uh, post you share on Facebook next week or that card you give out at work, you don't know how that's going to affect someone or how they're going to be able to open up to you because mm. of that. What was the impact for... You know, your siblings and James's siblings and the family more as a, a whole. Yeah, um, it is. It's the ripple effect. It's it's a it's a tough one, um, but it's real. Uh, it's probably you know probably the biggest thing that goes alongside the subject of suicide is the fallout. Um, so I mean I I can't speak for mum and dad and for my siblings, but I can say that uh, and, and our extended family, the uncles and aunties, the cousins. Um, you know, he James. Just funnily enough, quickly. I mean. When, when James passed away, I had messages, you know, from Country SA. I then had messages as far away as WA and Tassie. I then received messages from America and from somewhere in Asia over Facebook of people that James's life had, had touched. Wow. So just on that ripple effect, you don't know how big it is, and that's how big it was for, for us. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was rippling hard around the world, so to speak. But, yeah... Um, it's, it's changed our family um, because we've all, like I said, I, I don't think any of us probably had had it hit home like it did with James. And so, yeah, it's changed our environment. It's changed mum and dad. It's changed my siblings. I personally think I probably, yeah, I look out for my family more now. I notice more things about them now. I think I interact with them a bit more now. I make sure... I don't use that whole excuse of being busy and having other stuff on anymore or, or putting my life and my interests and, and my time first. 
got to make time for them. And I've seen them do the same. Um, but I've seen them all go through grief, which is, a, which is just that subject that hits everyone differently. Um, relationships, probably everyone's, you know, had to just revisit how, they rela- how their relationships are with people. Um, but look, as a gut feeling, I think it's all made us stronger. But not to say that everyone's okay, because I don't think any of us are okay, so to speak. But we've, we're all more aware of life and death and suicide and everything that comes with it. And they're all on journeys as well. Um, and, you know, I need to keep checking in on them. And they do on me as well, which is nice. Get the little messages here and there. And that's all different things since James has died. What about faith? What, what's, you know, you talked before about how it challenges our concept of God and, and challenges faith. What impact has it had in terms of challenging your faith? Yeah, so I can definitely only speak on mine on that one. Um, at my journey and my fam, my my wife and kids. Um, so we're obviously religious and, and we're you know we, we go to church each week and and we've got a community in in here in Adelaide and around Australia and the world and and um, yeah I poured myself back into it after James died very heavily, kept saying yes to everything and being involved in youth group and camps and all all the good things you know we're we're in a, a good positive community there it's great, um, the support was good. It was great. Um, you know, some people, I, I felt for them because it's that subject that's still hard to talk about it and you could see people either wanting to talk about it or not wanting to talk about it and, and you've got to respect that. You, I look at me before I had my lived experience and I, I have to think of it when I think of other people. I can't, you can't have a go at people for saying the wrong thing or for not saying anything because it's, it's hard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a journey from me probably pouring myself back into it Going, yep, everything's all right. Everything happens for a reason. It's, I've got this. I'm going to find the answers. It's all going to be okay. To maybe two years later, going, it's not okay. I don't have the answers. Everything doesn't happen for a reason, and I need to question all this. And I need to do. A, I need to. Um, I need to make sure my faith is being steered in the right direction, and that I'm 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 doing the right thing by myself and my wife and my kids, and. So I've been doing that probably the last three years then. So say five years, uh, yeah, so two years of just pouring back into it and just accepting everything and then the last three years of now searching. Um, and that's that's been hard too. Um, but it's been good uh, now that I'm sort of, I've gone through some high points and low points. Um, and I've had to learn things like not being a yes man, <laughs> which I've always been good at, and saying no to things. Mm. Um, taking time for myself, reevaluating things, um, testing my faith, and what I was doing wasn't just wasn't just blind and wasn't just me going with the crowd and doing things to keep other people happy. I had to make sure that my relationship with God and Jesus, um, which is what my belief is, um, was on the right track, and I was doing it for the right reasons, and not worrying so much about what other people think. Mm. Um, and that's what I was talking about about earlier about sub, uh, the suicide subject maybe not getting spoken about in cultures and in religion is that people care so much about what other people think, not care about what God thinks or um, what their family thinks. They're worried about what everyone else thinks and gossiping and, and that putting on that face. And I think I've learned that don't worry about what other people think uh, in, a, in, a, in a nice sense. Um, you've got to look after yourself. You've got to look after your family. You've got to look after your mental health. 
Um, and you've got to get those things in check before you start pouring your time into serving other people and doing those things. And that's out of the best interests of the people you're trying to help and serve and out of your own best interests. Yeah. So for me, that that's where I'm at with God and with Jesus and making sure that um, I have myself in a, in a safe space and the right space to then help others and to, to do works of any kind. Yeah. Yeah, work. Speaking of work, uh, works work. Uh, you know, work's such an important part of our existence as human beings. We spend a lot of time in our work, and we we spend a lot of time with our colleagues. I know you become an advocate for uh, change and an advocate for talking about mental health. How did you find the work environment? Yeah, I I, um, I feel for my work colleagues at the time. I, I obviously rang my boss, a good mate of mine, um, and told him, and he he was great and supportive. And um, oh, like I hated calling him and having to dump that on him. That, that's probably another thing is when you when you dump the info of a suicide on someone, it's I feel it's for that hard. person. Yeah. Um, but I took some time off. I took a couple of weeks off. Um, didn't sort of interact with the guys from work other than you know chatting, just texting my boss about when I'd come back and that kind of thing. And um, and then when I came back, I didn't know how much everyone at work knew or what had been spoken about. And it was sort of that awkward standoff of I didn't really want to dump it on them either. And they probably, I think what I learned then was that a few people didn't know. They just knew something had gone wrong in my life and there was a tragedy or whatever. Um, a few people knew exactly what had happened and others had no idea. And so it was one of those things where you don't, at the time I didn't walk in and just announce to everybody or send an email or something like that. But then it was that hard moment of they didn't know what I was going through and I didn't want to dump it on them kind of thing. Um, and I was still very green to the subject and all that kind of thing. So that was a funny one. It went on for a while where I sort of only spoke about it with people at work if it came up uh, or if I was close enough to them or if they maybe asked. And that was it. We kept it pretty pretty tame. Um, I then changed jobs, uh, went away for two years and then ended up back at the same company. And so that was a good journey as well that I went on there. Um, and in that time, I just started seeing... Um, mental health in the workplace and how much time we spend with each other at work. A lot of cases, it's more time than you spend with your family or at church or at your sports club or whatever. And um, the importance of, well, maybe we do need to all talk about this and share it more because then you can share it with your families at homes and, and that kind of thing. And you don't know what the guy next year or the lady next year is going through. So um, things like Are You OK Day came up. Um, you know, Beyond Blue doing days where they'd send out packs to workplaces, um, fundraisers, initiatives, that kind of thing. And I thought, hey, let's try and push this a little bit. And the more I pushed it, it was getting a good response. People were reacting to it. You know, you don't always get a reaction if you hold uh, morning tea or, or something like this for, for other things. But all of a sudden, there was response to it. Um, so I kept pushing. And um, the response has been phenomenal. It's It's people are wanting to talk about it and they're wanting to know things about it so i've done the training with mates in construction here in adelaide that's really great i've done the three levels of training with them so um, that's uh, assist safe talk mental health first aid those sorts yes of, yeah. yep um and so you do you, you would you recommend someone you know do those programs oh look i, I would recommend that straight away yeah. that's probably been the best one i've done okay. um, and i'm looking to do more i'm looking to learn more and that was fantastic. Um, the last one is a two-day event you do to become assist trained. Yep. And you suddenly find yourself learning what to do in a crisis moment if you're with someone that is um, in a crisis. And funnily enough, I only did it 
um, last, end of last year, so maybe four or five months ago. And last week I had my first intervention. Wow. Accidentally. What happened? Uh, me and dad driving home from a round of golf uh, here in Adelaide and um, we saw a, a gentleman that was in distress on the side of the road and we had that spur of the moment where dad went, hey, does that guy look all right? And I went, oh, I don't know. And i got to chuck a Yui. So we went back round and... And he wasn't okay. He was having a panic attack and, and uh, some of the things he said were triggers. And um, I jumped into action. My training jumped into action and it was uh, tell the person you're there with them and, and, and we calmed him down. We got him a drink of water and yeah, funnily enough, it was out the front of a fire station. All of a sudden, the fireys came out and we, we supported him. We got him in a safe place. We told him we were there to listen. We sat down with him. We let him catch his breath. And um, that moment evolved there and... and um, I just tried to think of my training and what I needed to say that was the, the right things to say and we got him in a safe place. We then got him home and we did the steps of giving him some numbers of people he could call and we rang, um, we rang the emergency services to go to a welfare check on him and we did everything we could at the time. You can't always do everything you can but at the time, I think me and Dad did the best we could at the time and I don't know how that all ended up but um, you can only do what you can do at the yeah. time but... That's where that whole training and knowing it. Like mm. five years ago, I would not have had a clue what to do. Mm. I may or may not have stopped if I'm being honest mm. and I wouldn't have known what to do. Mm. Um, and so that's where I can recommend training. I can recommend reading and listening to podcasts and going onto websites. There's, there's fantastic groups out there. Um, Instagram, Facebook, you can follow these groups like Livin' um, and Are You OK Day and and um, all, all these guys, Roses in the Ocean, and you can see the work they're doing and all those little snippets here and there can help you build a little library of your own thoughts and ways of helping people because everyone's on a different journey. Yeah, that's right. And like you guys are doing, you're talking to people from all different walks of life and you don't know how you can affect someone mm. on the journey that they're on. Um, and like you said, it's not a 100% success rate and knowing the right thing for the right person um, but it, I feel like it's that message we've got to give to the world is we've all got to try a little bit mm. and we can make a difference. Now, however big or small that difference is, we don't know. Like I said, so all I can do, and I share a lot of stuff on, on Facebook and, and um, Instagram and LinkedIn and, and I, I don't do it. I, I don't do any of this for the accolades. It's, it's, <laughs> I've, I've felt the pain. I've felt the hurt. I'm still hurting. It tears me to pieces, but I'm also at that stage where um, I, I want to know what more I can do in this world to help other people. And at the moment, all it is in my circumstances is sharing those little things and pushing that message. And I've had a couple of people message me and reach out to me. And it, and even then, it's not a, it's not about that. That wasn't the reason for it. But that also helps me keep going. When someone tells me they saw that and it helped them on their day, that put a smile on their face, or it was just the message that they needed. And it's not it's not my message. It's things I'm sharing and quotes I'm finding. That helps me keep going. So I guess to anyone out there, you know, that's why talking is important. Um, you know, mention to someone if they are helping you on your mental health journey. Um, share it if you're trying to help someone else. Um, put a little note in someone's letterbox or at work, share a card with with numbers on it. And don't be afraid to ask the question. The, the worst answer you're going to get, um, as in the most negative answer is like, no, like how could you ask me that? But the best answer you're going to get is someone saying, yeah, I'm in trouble. 
what do I do? You don't lose either way. You don't lose either way. I mean, in the someone tr- says why you're asking me that, it still illustrates how much you care about them. So there's no loss. E- exactly, and that's the that's the biggest thing. And the training I've been doing is the the hardest question you ask someone is, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? And and even when I say those words, I f- I feel I'm like I can't believe I just said that. That's a really real harsh ex- thing to say to someone. But the answer to that is the most important answer you're going to get. It's either yes or no. And if it's no, there's nothing's been lost. And if it's yes, you can start helping that person on their journey. As you have uh, already. And, you know, mate, if I can just encourage you to keep talking. You know, talking's what it's all about. And the more we talk, the more we normalise. The more we normalise, it becomes more transparent and more open. And we need to continue to push. And the way we do that is by bringing our lived experience out to people on podcasts like this and just being really open and transparent about the impact it's had. I've really loved the conversation with you. Um, You've been really mature and and you've been amazing in terms of your insights and the wisdom and the knowledge that you bring from what it is that's happened to you. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of what it is that we've just done. So thank you for coming in and being a part of it and continue the amazing work, mate, of... uh, without fear of just putting yourself out there and uh, looking for opportunities to be able to tell that story. No worries. Thanks, Lane. And to anyone that's listening, keep going. And everybody out there, we can make a difference. So keep up the great work. Thanks for coming in. No worries.